you're a guest with us this morning, we're glad you're here. And we're in a series called Falling Apart. And uh, we've, we've been looking at the questions, where is God when the world is falling apart? Where is God when my family is falling apart? And this morning we're going to talk about where is God when my plans are falling apart? Now, back in the 1980s, I enjoyed a television series called The A-Team. Do, do any of you remember The A-Team? All right, okay, okay, good. <laughs> these, were, these were a band of Vietnam vets who were always putting away the bad guys and running from the military police all at the same time. And their leader, Hannibal Smith, in almost every episode that I remembered, would, would usually, toward the end of the show, say something like this. I just love it when a plan comes together. Well, who doesn't? Life is easy when your plans come together. It's when your plans are falling apart that the questions begin to come up and we begin to wonder where is God in the midst of all of that. I love the Bible because it is full of people whose plans fell apart. I don't think Noah was planning on becoming a boat builder and starting over in God's creation. I'm pretty sure that Abraham was not was content at living at home in Chaldea and not wanting to become a nomad, not wanting to start a new nation, not wanting to have a son at the age of 100. Thrilled though he was to have his son, you know, God, couldn't it have come just a little earlier in life? I don't think Esther, this young Jewish girl in a foreign country, ever planned on becoming a queen. And I certainly don't think that David, when he went to take bread and cheese to his brothers who were in the army, expected that day to fight a giant in the valley with only a slingshot. And you say, yes, but all those stories turned out well. Yes, they did. But not all Bible stories seem to have that happy ending kind of feel to them until you get to the very last note. Job lost everything. He lost his children, he lost his fortune, he lost his health, and never did get the answers that he wanted from God. That wasn't his plan. At 80, the shepherd Moses was getting ready to retire and draw his first Midian social security check. He never planned to return to Egypt, that place that he had fled, and, and lead out a group of slaves to a promised land. After persecuting the church and putting Christians in prison, Paul never planned on becoming the apostle to the Gentiles. And when he did, he never planned on ministering from a prison cell in Rome. But we're the recipient of some of the most powerful writings in Scripture that were penned from a prison cell. Lazarus was one of Jesus' dearest friends on this earth. And when Lazarus got sick, I think he thought that Jesus would come and miraculously heal him like he had hundreds if not thousands of other people. <laughs> he just never planned on being dead four days before Jesus did that miraculous work in his life. You see, when it, when it comes to our plans, they often fall apart. And I think when it comes to our present culture, folks, in many ways, we are much different than previous generations. If you, if you go back to my grandparents' generation, life seemed to be a lot simpler in that day and time. I, I don't sense that simplicity in my life or in our culture today. And I don't think I'm alone in my feelings. I, I do much better when I have a plan of action. Any, anybody else feel that way? I, I love to be able to check things off of a list when I get done. I love to see a completed list. 
very seldom do I see a completed list. And, and are some days like this for you, you get to the end of the day and the list is longer than when you started that morning? Because our plans are to get farther down the road and we don't. I, I, I relish finishing a project that I can see is done and complete. Consequently, when life doesn't go according to plan, I get frustrated. I get stressed. And unexpected interruptions just throw everything into chaos. If you're anything like me this morning, I think God has a lot to say to people like us whose plans fall apart and our attitudes about it when it happens. I want to go back to, to one of my favorite characters of, of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and, and I want to use his life as an illustration of how God is at work when it seems like all of our plans are falling apart. Now we have the advantage of reading his biography and knowing how the end of the story comes. But you and I live in real time. We can't see how God is working in our lives at every moment. And so our lives become a walk of faith. It, it is a matter of trust. But it's the same thing that happened for Joseph. It's the same thing that happened for Moses and Noah and Esther and David and Paul and Lazarus. It is always a walk of faith because they couldn't see God at work in real time either. So let me take you to Joseph's life and let's take a look at some of the examples here in this grand story of the Old Testament, this true life event, and see what we can learn about days when our plans fall apart. Joseph grew up in a blended family. By the way, I, I, this story is recorded in the closing chapters of the book of Genesis. If you want to go home today and read it in its entirety, I would highly encourage you to do that. He, grow, he grows up in a blended family of sorts. Now, there were 12 brothers. We are not told how many sisters there were. There had to be sisters in the family, but we don't know how many. And while they all had one father, these boys were divided among four different mothers. Now, Jacob, who's the father made the same mistake that his mom and dad had made, and that is he picked one of his boys to be his favorite, and everybody knew it. It was Joseph. And, and the reason he picked Joseph was that Joseph was the firstborn of, of his favorite wife, Rachel, the one he truly loved. And he gave Joseph this special coat, now, most of us grew up hearing that it was a coat of many colors. Uh, the, the Hebrew word that is used to describe this, we don't really know what it means. It may have meant a coat uh, that was colorful. It may have been something that was, was dazzling. Uh, the inter inter New International Version translates it, richly ornamented coat. But, but it really doesn't matter what it looked like. It, it was special. Nobody else had one. And that's what set it apart. When dad did that for Joseph, it set a barrier between him and his 11 brothers and put on course a natural disaster. Now, Joseph doesn't help the situation at all in his family 
when he has dreams. These are special dreams, and he tells the dream. You remember the dream. first dream was they were out in the wheat field, and the wheat sheaves of his brothers all bowed down to his wheat sheaf, and he told that, and he didn't get a really good reception. He gets a second dream, and this dream is the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down to his star. Nobody liked that dream any better. You'd have thought he would have learned the first time around because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know what those dreams mean. Those dreams suggest that Joseph somehow is going to be over the rest of them. And I think Joseph believed the dreams just like everybody else dreamed. You wouldn't tell a dream if you didn't believe there was some truth to the dream. And so I think in Joseph's mind, his plan was that he would become top dog in the family at the very minimum, and maybe at best, he would rule somehow, some way. And I think perhaps Joseph and his late teens began to move with that kind of plan in mind. Most 17-year-olds, Joseph was 17 at the time, most 17-year-olds are making plans. 17-year-olds are thinking about career choices. They may not have chosen one yet, but they're thinking. They've got options out there. Most 17-year-olds are looking at post-high school educational options. No one casually dismissed Joseph's dreams, and they hated him for it. One day, Joseph was sent to check on his brothers who were out shepherding the sheep and when the brothers spotted him coming from afar off, uh, they decided they were going to put him to death. Now, Reuben had a better plan. There was an old dried-up cistern right there where they were having their, getting ready to have their lunch. And, and Reuben said, let's just throw him in the pit. Now, Reuben's plan was to come back later, get him out of the pit, and restore him back to home. But it didn't work that way. The rest of the brothers didn't. They liked the idea, but they just wanted to leave him in the pit. And so they throw him in the pit. And to show you the hardness of their heart at this point in time and their hatred for Joseph, they sit around the open cistern eating their lunches. And you can hear Joseph's voice echoing up from the empty cistern, help him, please help me. And they continue to eat their lunch. About that time, a band of Ishmaelites, which would have been distant relatives of these boys, comes along. They're headed down to Egypt, and one of them has the great idea, hey, let's sell Joseph. And they sell him for the price of a slave. Reuben can't carry out his plan, and they take him off into Egypt, where they, in turn, sell him to be a slave to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar made him his slave this Egyptian official. I mean, how life can change in the blink of an eye. One moment you're planning on being a leader, the next moment you become a slave. You're at the bottom of the food chain when you're expecting to be at the top of the food chain. And to boot, he is the slave of a dreaded Egyptian. To explain Joseph's disappearance, the brothers killed a goat, dipped this richly ornamented robe which they'd stripped off of him before they threw him into the cistern and they took it home to their father Jacob to identify and Jacob saw the coat, he saw the blood, concluded that his son was dead and the boys never told him different. Jacob, do you know what his name means? It means deceiver. Jacob had lived his life with some duplicitous acts and deceptive deeds. And now he was the recipient of the most despicable deceit possible. It broke his heart. Can I remind you what goes around comes around. When you make plans to use deception to get your way in life, don't be surprised if your plans come back to haunt you. 
Remember these words from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. When you live a life of deception, it will come back to haunt you. And Jacob lives the next many years thinking his beloved son Joseph is dead. Well, soon after Joseph settled into his new servant's role and gained Potiphar's trust, Potiphar's wife took a lustful liking to Joseph and and unsuccessfully tried to seduce him every day. The Bible says day by day, Joseph resisted the temptation. And, And finally, in desperation one day, she reaches out, grabs him physically, and Joseph wriggles out of this coat that he's wearing, leaves it dangling in her hands, and runs for his life. Now, this is the second time that Joseph has lost a good coat. <laughs> the spurned Mrs. Potiphar spins the truth so deceptively that it would make a Washington, D.C. press secretary blush. And Joseph is thrown into prison for a crime that he didn't do. Now, if becoming a slave seems far away from your dreams, then going to prison makes them even more remote. You see, just when you think things can't get any worse, take a look. They can. Joseph spends the next 10 years, at least, in prison for something he didn't do. He wasted the entire decade of his 20s in a prison cell. How unfair is that? I think of the decade of my 20s, and I look back with great joy. I graduated from college in the 20s. I had the privilege of marrying Elsie in in, in my 20s. We, We started serving the church here in my 20s. We welcomed Emily into our family as our firstborn daughter in our 20s. I was looking forward to the birth of Rebecca when I left my 20s. All of that happened in that decade. I cannot imagine that decade being lost in my life. Joseph's entire 20 years of living, his decade of his 20s was lost in prison. I can't imagine how unfair that was. If God can do anything, if we believe that God can do anything, How could he stand by and let such injustice dominate in Joseph's life? Why didn't God answer Joseph's prayers? Why didn't God punish Joseph's brothers? Why didn't God punish Potiphar's wife? Didn't God care? Where is God when my plans are falling apart? Well, I will suggest to you that God was listening, and God did care, and that God did answer his prayers, and that God did punish, but that's not happening in the story yet. You've got to hang on. And even though Joseph was a model prisoner and endeared himself to the warden, his prison sentence was not commuted, and the years rolled by in slow motion. About eight years or so into his prison sentence, two of the king's cabinet 
end up being thrown into prison. Now, I think they must have been suspects in some kind of a plot against Pharaoh. We're not told about the details of it. They just ended up in prison with Joseph. And both of these guys have dreams. One is a cupbearer, and the other one is the baker. And the cupbearer's dream, when he tells it to Joseph, Joseph tells him, he said, oh, in three days, you're going to be restored to your, your job. The, uh, the, the baker tells Joseph his dream, and Joseph says, in three days, you're going to be executed. And as the cupbearer is leaving prison to go back to serve Pharaoh, Joseph says this. He says, remember me, tell Pharaoh about my plight, and remember that that I would like to be out of here. Well, the cupbearer goes back to the palace, gets involved in the Pharaoh's service, and promptly forgets anything about Joseph. Another two years go by. Don't you know that for the first couple of weeks, Joseph just expects somebody to walk through that prison gate and say, hey, Joseph, I've talked to Pharaoh. You're out of here. But after two years, you know he's long forgotten who you are. What a setback. And then, and then everything, everything changed. Pharaoh has a couple of distressing dreams, and no one can explain them. Seven plump heads of grain were consumed by seven scrawny heads of grain, and the second one was seven fat cows were consumed by seven emaciated cows. And Pharaoh wakes up. Nobody can explain the dreams to him, and he is not a happy camper. And it's at this point in time that the cupbearer says, Oh, I know a guy that I met in prison. He could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, you go get him and get him now. And they come back to the palace. And and there Joseph introduces himself, points Pharaoh to the living God, the only true God, the only God who can give interpretations to dreams. And then he explains the dreams to Pharaoh. And he says, there will be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh, prepare now. And at age 30, When he gets out of prison, Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're the man for the job. And suddenly, Joseph steps into the role of second in command of the most powerful nation on earth. He goes from the pit to the palace, but not according to his plan. His plans had all fallen apart. Now, I believe there's some valuable lessons in the story of Joseph for us here this morning. And I just want to give these to you quickly uh, today. And and the first one is simply this. Don't panic. Be patient. When your plans fall apart, don't panic. Be patient. I am the person that panics when plans don't work out. We type A people... Believe that everyone ought to be a little OCD. This world would be better if we were all a little OCD. And we don't do well when we can't be in control of our lives. Consequently, we are quick to panic when we can't find a way around the obstacle that has carefully thwarted our plans. Now, I believe God takes great delight in reminding us that we're not in charge, that he's in charge. He's at work in his time and in his way. And after all these years, I'm still working at trying to learn that better. When your plans fall apart, you have a choice about how you're going to respond. When life takes your plans and and just puts them into a loop, when the bottom falls out and your plans fall apart, it's up to you how you respond. 
Okay, you can, I guess it depends on what you're made of. You know, some people are like, are like uh, a metal pan. Because when you drop it like that, it makes a lot of noise. And it gets all bent out of shape. And some people are just like that. They get noisy when they don't get their way. They get bent out of shape and that dent stays there for the rest of their lives. Are you like that when things don't go your way? Kind of hard and noisy and easily bent out of shape. Or some people are like glass. They're pretty fragile. When you throw glass up and let it come down, what happens? It just shatters. And it's gone. You can't put it back together. And some people are like that. You drop them. When, when their plans fall apart and, and everything drops out from underneath them, they, they just shatter. They break into a, a gazillion pieces. And no matter how you try to put it back together, there will always be cracks and there will always be open spaces and it'll never hold water again. Some people are like a rubber ball. When the bottom drops out, they just keep bouncing. Now, which one best describes you? Noisy, easily been out of shape. Fragile, can't be put back together again. Or flexible enough to just keep bouncing when everything seems like panic. You see, that's what Joseph did. For about 13 years of his life, he just bounced along, trusting that God would somehow take all of the pieces and parts and put them back together. Never once in the story of Joseph do we hear him railing against God. He patiently bounces along. I'm telling you, keep bouncing. That's where the patience comes in. Research shows that the ability to patiently delay gratification, to learn how to wait for your plans to come together, is one of the best predictors of success in life. When you can keep on bouncing, that's when your life has its best chance at success. Here's the second thing. Don't stop. Learn how to change directions. Sometimes when our plans fall apart, we just stop as if we don't know what to do. If plan A doesn't work, we don't have a plan B or a plan C. Now, I'm always amazed at how God teaches us things from his creation. Consider the annoying little cockleburr seed. If you ever walk through the woods in the fall of the year, you'll come out with pants and coat sleeves full of cockleburs. Do you know that in the cockleburr, there are more than one kind of seed? If seed A does not sprout in the next year because of a drought, then seed B sprouts the following year. And if that doesn't work, then seed 3 sprouts the year after that. Somehow, that weed is going to survive. <laughs> Do you think God is trying to teach us something in in the simplicity of his creation, we need a plan B. M.H. Alderson said, if at first you don't succeed, you're running about average. <laughs> you see, no one's plans always work out. So don't stop. Just find a way to change your direction and go a different way. If, if you don't have a plan B, there's a really good book. It's Pete Wilson's book called Plan B. Read that. Maybe it'll remind you of, of, of how God can sometimes work through our plan B. And if you don't have a plan B, I can tell you God has a plan B for your life. Former New York, New York Yankees catcher Yogi Bear, the classic Yogi Bear, <laughs> said this. He said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> He's not far off, you know. 
When your planned path ends, find a detour. When you come to the fork, do something. Don't just stop when your plans come to end. Take the detour, all right? Uh, Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, lived his life and based his business on biblical principles. At his funeral just this past September, uh, it was noted that scriptural truths shaped his thinking. And one of his sayings, he had a lot of wonderful sayings, but one of his sayings was simply this, take advantage of unexpected opportunities. Isn't that what a fork in the road is, an unexpected opportunity? Isn't that what plan B is, an unexpected opportunity? Instead of seeing a detour, look for the unexpected opportunities that result from plans that didn't come together. That's what I so admire about Joseph. With every setback came a renewed plan. When he became a slave, he determined to be the best, most trusted slave in Potiphar's house. That's why Potiphar had him thrown in prison, not killed, as you would do if the story had been true. When he became a prisoner, he became a model prisoner and gained the trust of the warden. When he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh says, oh, wow, that's going to happen. Then Joseph stepped up and he says, and by the way, your majesty, you need to think about appointing somebody who can manage this massive project, who can delegate the job to other people to make sure that the food is stored and the food is distributed appropriately. And Pharaoh says, well, Joseph, you've already got the plan. You're the man. And he steps into this role. When Joseph came to the fork in the road, he took it. Because you see, that's what you do. You don't just stop. You keep moving forward and let God work through the change of plans. When your plans fall apart, the devil may be in the details, but God is in the detour. Follow his lead and you'll be amazed where the new path will take you. Here's the third thing. Don't lose heart. Stay faithful. It is so easy to become discouraged when things don't go as you want. I, I can't imagine being so hated by family that they would want to sell you or put you to death without ever caring if they saw you again. I can't imagine being imprisoned for a decade of my life for something I didn't do. And I fear most of us would be ready to give up if that happened. I think most of us would conclude, ah, my prayers are not answered. God doesn't care. Why should I stay the course with him? Ah, but not Joseph. And while it was a tough experience, Joseph learned things through his hardship that he could never have learned any other way. Disappointment and failure have a way of teaching us lessons that success never can. Amos Alcott wrote, he said, we climb to heaven most often on the ruins of our cherished plans, finding our failures were somehow successes. We'll never get to heaven on our plan. It's God's plan and God's purchase that gets us home. And God is at work, even in our broken plans, turning our failures into successes within his plan. Our response should then be, all right, I'll persevere. I'll just keep on bouncing. I'll walk by faith because I sure can't see what God is up to. I marvel at Joseph's ability to stay faithful to God when nothing seemed to be going his way. He never compromised the truth, even when his plans were compromised. You know, when the uh, baker brought him his dream, 
you know, the, the cupbearer was, that's, that's, that's fun. I like to give good news to people. You know, hey, three days, you're going to be back serving the king. The baker comes. His dream doesn't have a happy ending. His dream was execution. Had I been Joseph at that point in time with nothing to lose, I would have said to the baker, your dream's a little fuzzy. Come back in four days, and I'll tell you the answer. Can I remind you, Joseph has been a part of a family who for the last three generations have practiced deception. And here in the prison, where nobody would have cared, if he didn't finish telling the story, he knew God would care. And he stayed with the truth even though the response was painful and sad. You don't have to be a reflection of your heritage when your heritage doesn't reflect the Lord. Joseph broke the mold. He stayed with the truth. Do what it takes in your own life to break the mold. Stay faithful even when you are disappointed. Lieutenant Commander Edwin Schumann died this past December at the age of 82. During the Vietnam War, he was a prisoner at what the captives called the Hanoi Hilton, where they were, as prisoners, not allowed to worship. After being there for quite some time, Schumann decided that enough was enough, and he convinced several of the rest of the prisoners, we're going to have a worship service, and they're going to haul us out, and they're going to torture us, but I want to know if you're with me. And every one of them said, we're with you. And so he started to lead the worship service on a Sunday morning. The guards came in, hauled him out, began to torture him. One by one, the guys stepped up to take lead of the worship service. And one by one, the guards hauled him out until the guards couldn't keep up with the process. And they finished the worship service. They said the Lord's Prayer. And then a strange thing happened. It was the guards that gave up. And from that Sunday until the prisoners were released in 1973, they held church services every week. Be faithful, even in the midst of the toughest moments. When your plans have fallen apart, you be faithful, and God will honor that faithfulness. Well, you know the rest of the story. I wish we had time to plumb the depths of the rest of the story. But the famine continued. Joseph's brothers come to buy food. They don't recognize him. He's been assimilated into Egyptian culture. Besides, they're not thinking he's alive. And Joseph recognizes them, puts them through a series of tests to determine if their attitudes had changed. And at the end of the story, he reveals his identity. It is one of the most beautiful, stirring emotional moments in the Old Testament, 22 years of anxiety burst forth in a flood of tears as Joseph tells them who he is. Now, they're, they're absolutely scared to death. But listen to what Joseph said. In Genesis chapter 45, he says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph was able to put all those broken plans in the past and say, I know now why I'm here. <laughs> and the dream did come true, not the way I wanted it to, but it came true. And God had a design and purpose behind it. You see, even when you cannot see it, God is at work. When Joseph couldn't see it, God was at work, especially during the times when our plans are falling apart. So don't give up when the bottom drops out of your plans. Don't be like a 
clanging metal pan or a fragile glass vase. Be like that flexible rubber ball that just keeps on bouncing until God gets you where you need to be. I've seen a few monarch butterflies at our butterfly bush this summer. You know every year in the fall they, they migrate to, to Mexico. It, it's just one of those extraordinary things. For some, they travel 3,000 miles, about 120 miles west of Mexico City. Elizabeth Howard is a director of a project called Journey North that has been tracking monarch migration for more than two decades. Now, how, how do butterflies make such a grueling trip? She explains that they don't flap much. They just float and soar on the wind. She says the wind carries them there. They are like an eagle. If they had to flap all the way to Mexico, they'd never get there. Next spring, when you see the monarchs around your home, know this, that it's the fourth generation that you're seeing. Those that come back have never been here before. Isn't it amazing how God can get you where you've never been before? When you do all the flapping, your, your, your plans will fall apart. Trust me on that. Take wing on his providential grace and watch with amazement where God will make you soar. And when you get home, when you get home to heaven, don't be surprised if God looks at you and smiles and says, I just love it when a plan comes together. Because you see, it's his plan that counts. When yours are falling apart, Trust him. He'll get you there.